You're listening to The Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Better Man Podcast. My name is Adam Tarno. On the podcast today is my buddy, Duke Rivard. Duke and I have been friends for almost 20 years. Uh, He's one of my favorite thinkers, and I'm so excited to introduce him to The Better Man Podcast crew today. He is the director of the Soma Family of Churches, and we have a conversation all about post-pandemic church. When we record this, here it is. It's the fall of 2021. Pandemic's been going on for 18, 19 months. And so we've had some time to reflect on some things that we've learned, some observations, and where we think things are going to be going in the future. And so you're going to hear how the Soma family of churches responded. You're going to hear a little bit on how he thinks the Big C Church, the larger church here in America, responded, and then where he sees things going in the future. What I find so ironic as we're talking about the pandemic and all that we've all learned and everything the way our lives have changed as a result of the last 18 or 19 months. We've all gotten used to Zoom and virtual meetings and all that kind of stuff. Well, as you know, fate would have it, uh, this recording our virtual call just completely freaked out in the middle. We had to go to a different platform and Uh, It was just kind of chaos there for a few minutes, which I just thought was so ironic as we're talking about post-pandemic church and some of the uh, ways that we've all changed and new skills that we've learned that we had this happen. But you know what? We're men. We powered through, and we got some great content recorded. So you might hear a little bit of difference in the audio, but that's, that's okay. That's just the way things roll here in 2021. So with all that being said, enjoy my conversation with Duke Brevard. Duke, welcome to the Better Man Podcast. Good to have you here today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Adam. Yeah. Well, um, let's start off with this. We're going to talk about post-pandemic church and some of your thoughts around that. So uh, why don't we start, though, talking about your your church and, and the organization that you're a part of. Uh, how did Soma Community Churches respond to the pandemic? What were some stories that you heard and what was uh, what was happening in, in your network? Yeah, thanks, Adam. We have 80 churches spread over U.S., Canada, Mexico, Australia, Blue states, red, red states. Uh, so we've got a quite uh, varied experience of COVID. Um, you had churches in places like Seattle, very blue state, very restricted uh, in terms of what they could or couldn't do. Uh, they were obviously way more impacted than churches in Texas. So, yeah. uh, you know, it just <laughs> yes. really kind of depends on the context. Um, but, you know, a lot of our churches are organized around three discipleship environments. So the, the central one would be missional communities. So these are small groups on a mission to a micro context in their city. And they're really reorienting their life around making disciples of that people group. So mission got pretty interrupted because even it's one thing for the Christians to all be on the same page. It's another thing for the people they're trying to reach to be willing to encounter them That's or right. to show yeah. up in spaces. And so there's a lot of uh, challenges and, and rethinking that had to happen around mission and, and what, what you could do in mission. Uh, we also have DNA groups, which are like same-sex triads, so for discipleship, nurture, and accountability. Um, that was, you know, probably the, the discipleship environment that got utilized the most because you could have three people in camping chairs in the backyard with masks on pretty much throughout all of the pandemic and even the most restricted areas. And so I've talked to many of our pastors who said our DNA groups actually got stronger over COVID because we could do it. It was uninterrupted. Uh, and and people that maybe weren't in DNA groups or weren't as engaged really started to engage. And I, I personally believe that, you know, accountability is one of the X factors in discipleship. And so the smaller the group becomes, the more accountable the group becomes, often the more fruit and growth you see. And so I think that was a really positive development for a lot of our churches is just the strengthening of DNAs. Uh, Sunday gatherings obviously pivoted, um, you know, to video. Somebody that maybe didn't even have a video reality quickly had to ramp up and figure out 
a video reality and figure out Facebook Live and all the whole learning curve. And of course, that's been documented in so many places. But yeah, uh, yeah churches were were pivoting and, and quickly and, and adjusting and, and trying to figure out what was sustainable and what was uh, effective. Uh, and of course, a lot of trial and error, a lot of failure, a lot, some successes. Uh, but it's been a interesting ride. Yeah, I would imagine. I thought about you guys in your churches often during the pandemic, because when the pandemic started, I was still on staff at a church, a big mega church here in Texas. And we were so, you know, we, we certainly had small groups and things going on in the homes and in the communities, but there was, uh, like most mega churches, there was a, a pretty significant, in um, you know, impact or, or focus on the Sunday gathering and the big building that we had and making sure that that was utilized. And so that all went away. You know, some of my understanding of what you guys have going on with Soma communities, there's a little less uh, dependence on that on that building, right? Like you guys are are really just out there, as you talked about, in your missional communities. And so, maybe I uh, maybe I romanticized the way you guys were able to respond to the pandemic as a, as opposed to maybe a traditional megachurch or or one that is a little bit more dependent on a building. Um, but did you, you know, I know you said there was some interruption in your Sunday and going out and reaching out in the community, but I mean, by and large, was it, was it significant or, or was it, were you guys able to ride it out pretty well? Yeah, I would say compare, you know, to compare like the average Soma church to a mega church, I think we were probably, to use Nassib Tlaib, anti-fragile, like we were more resilient, more set up. Yeah. For this, I remember one of our churches in Phoenix and said we were built for this. Like this is not actually all that concerning. I think our people are more curious and excited about how we'll have to pivot than they are concerned about what do we do. And a lot of that goes back to teaching. Uh, one of our core core mantras is you are the church. You don't go to church. That's right. And so once you and we teach a lot of gospel identity. And so when you frame the whole ecclesiology around you are a certain kind of people in light of the work of Christ. Um, that doesn't change in a pandemic. That's you just right. are the family of God. You are missionaries sent to make disciples. You are servants of King Jesus. You are saints. You know, you are the beloved of God. Like that doesn't change. Uh, and so really it just becomes a matter of how are we going to worship? How are we going to make disciples? What's it going to look like? Uh, and so I do think our churches were built on the whole for that. It was not the sky is falling. Um, now we have some larger churches that and I'll just use, I don't need to name cities or anything, but some larger churches, over a thousand, I'll say in major blue, blue state cities that lost massive numbers of people that moved, just physically moved out of state. Okay. Uh, and have seen massive, uh, you know, contraction on their, their giving, their staff, all of that. So the larger the church, it almost felt like the more impacted they were uh, because uh, maybe you have, I mean, I could speculate, but there's probably more consumers per capita, right? But maybe even some tippers in the in the offering plate <laughs> and less commitment, less membership per capita. And so less committed when things got challenging, you know, that kind of thing. And, and that's a part of it, right? Of, of like the larger the church, the more you're going to have some spectator, some people kicking the tires. Um, it seemed like, yeah, the more of that as, as a part of the per capita reality, the more impacted. Uh, maybe a church was uh, through through COVID. Yeah. So you obviously have a role in leading your local expression of, of part of your local church, and then you're also helping with all the Soma Community Network churches as well. So uh, keep on the like the network Duke hat right now of just like what what did you learn as you thought about somebody that is not just trying to be you know faithful in your local expression, but also trying to help a network of churches. Um, what were some things that you learned going through the last eighteen months? 
Yeah. No, I think, um, you know, video venues have been a thing that's mm-hmm. been, you know, that have been introduced, let's say the past 15 to 20 years, right? They've picked up some steam. It felt like we got gorged on video. Like we've, you know what I mean? Like we've, <laughs> yes. we've been sampling video and now we just like gorged on video. And I think what it did for me, and then this could be my own conviction, this could be my own bias, but I think it exposed how insufficient video actually is in the formation of disciples that embodied presence is actually essential <laughs> for human yeah. formation, uh, which is really an unprovocative statement looking back in church history because that's always been the default setting. Yeah. It's only of late that we've even had the ability to even try church a different way. But I think I would say COVID has revealed that embodied presence is is, is essential. I, I, even what we're learning about neuroscience and you and I right now looking at each other through a camera they can track the brain ways versus if you and I were looking at each other in the eyes over coffee Yeah, and there's fundamentally different things happening. If we were embodied with each other mm-hmm. uh, that matter. Uh, I don't know if you read Jim Wilder and Dallas Willard's last kind of lectures and emphasis and book renovated, but he talks a lot about the attachment love of God and how much attachment love is actually the seedbed out of which Christian maturity grows. That Im- you don't do that very well through a screen. You know, it's great when you go on vacation and you can FaceTime your family and you can say hi, but you know it's not the same thing as being with your family. Uh, and I, I think we just need to just say that about the church and the gathered church, that it's not the same. No, I mean, we're really doing our isn't. best, right? But it is not the same thing. And so I, I personally hope that that got revealed and it's less of, oh, look, now every church can just go more digital, more vi- less embodied. I hope it was, man, we ran that experiment at a pretty massive scale pretty quickly and found that it's pretty limited. Like there are some things you can do well there, but man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't major on that. I would major on embodied presence. I would minor on digital supplementation where, where it really makes sense. And, and we've done some of that. Um, I mean, we've learned some ways of u- utilizing that. We use like flip classrooms more mm-hmm. than we used to, where we'll create videos. Hey, watch the video, do this Bible study or answer these questions and come to a Zoom room to discuss so that your time with each other isn't lecture- boring watching slides, right? Or something. It's like you're actually engaging each other, having already been warmed up. Like we've learned some things that we we now use for training. Um, but yeah, that that's one. Um, I think we all have learned that like, we make plans and they're really, they should be in pencil. Like we really don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how things are going to change. I think we probably all got a big, strong dose of um, life can be unpredictable way more than we imagine. And we, we need to just name that. We don't know the future. Can't see the future. Um, This is like really granular, but I I think it's personality types were hit differently. Yeah. That's Uh, good. I don't love the Enneagram. I'm not against the Enneagram. I'm not for it. But if you take the Enneagram seven types uh, or the evangelists, uh, the the fun loving, love people, high extrovert, they were crushed the most by COVID. I mean, <laughs> I just right. think about our pastors that are that that demographic uh, were the most impacted, the most lonely, the most struggling, preaching to a camera. I mean, just had a miserable time through yeah. COVID, right? Yeah. And your in, your introvert study types, the type that love to 
read and and the SA Enneagram five times or whatever. It's yeah. like they had a blast. They're like, this is amazing. <laughs> I just get best to, year ever. Yeah, best I think I year. saw so, that meme right when Shelter in Place started. It was like it showed this deer or something that was prancing, like literally hopping into the woods. And it was like all the introverts going into Shelter in Place right now. And uh, I lean on that side of the spectrum. So I was like, yeah, yeah, that, this isn't going to be bad, guys. We're going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So yeah. that's a good, that's a good Those are insight. Some of the things. Yeah. I'm sure there's more, but no, I like that. I mean, that's really, I mean, I like that, that language too. the embodied presence, the insufficiency of video. I mean, some of the things I saw too, is I think as churches, it, when we went video, we were now uh, really competing with all screens, right. And uh, Netflix and Hulu and television and I think a lot of us were were found to just go, okay, those are those are some serious experts on how to engage somebody with a screen is very different than how to engage them and keep their attention when you're in a room with them. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if the screen, uh, if we were able to catch up at the same pace that that some of those other experts had done with all that, but. Um, but yeah, great, great observations there. So I know Duke, you're also just a student of the church, right? Like the Big C Church. So. Uh, thinking outside of the Soma communities and just looking at the church here in the U.S., what was your overall impression of how the the church handled the pandemic uh, here over the last 18 months? Yeah, it's challenging because it's like there's the pandemic and then there's the election year yep. and there's George Floyd. And now you've got Vax, anti-vax, which is very connected to the pandemic, obviously. But right. all those things seem very <laughs> conflated for me. Like they're all like layered because it's hard to say um, – you know, how any of those one thing if in isolation would have fared. But it, my overall um, kind of impression was, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, people were saying, hey, this could be like the church's brightest moment, like yeah. in the Black Plague and the Roman Empire, whatever. The church was like the people running in when everybody else was running out and caring for the sick. And it was just this beautiful moment of Christian sacrificial love. And the church gained, gained all this credibility and became even more bright and beautiful and, and attractive. And, and there was growth. Um I, I don't feel like that's what happened in America. Um, I feel like, if anything, the, the pressure, uh, the stress, um, the disruption, there's fear of death that's, that's, that's very real. There's economic disruption. There's loss of control, loss of predictability, canceled plans, disappointments, all that, plus uh, racial strife and racial hurts coming up to the surface big time with the George Floyd reality, plus now um, – you know, all kinds of things with the vaccination. It feels like, at least in Adam, you're in my observable church history of when we've been around paying attention. Like for me, this is almost like a low point of Christian unity. Yeah. Like it just feels like we did really poorly. Um, like if we were to hand a Bible to a new believer, have him read Galatians 5 and say, hey, how do we do on this spirit led, like fruit of the spirit versus the fruit of the, you know, the flesh? It's like, you know, fruits of the flesh, like dissensions and envy and make sure you don't bite, devour one another. You can consume one another. Um, like there was a lot of online behavior that felt a lot more like the flesh than the spirit. And, and I think function like anti-marketing for the message of the gospel and for the church. And so I'm really grieving in some ways. What I thought was like, I was kind of hopeful too. Like what if this trial produces a new kind of beautiful fruit? It felt like we more like failed the test on the macro. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm no, just no, I hear you. I, yeah, it felt more like that. For yeah. Me. 
So, I mean, as a leader in the church, if you start to think about, okay, where, where are we going to go now? Um, what, what are some thoughts? I mean, what do you think are, are some ways that we can look at that, call it what it is, go, all right, maybe we didn't do so well. Doesn't mean it's over, right? Doesn't mean, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> our whole gospel is built on redemption and uh, reconciliation and the ability to uh, forget what was behind and forge ahead. And so as we forge ahead, what are some things you think that are going to be different or maybe need to be different? Yeah, no, that's really, really good. Um, I think we do need to think about the metrics of the church because uh, what we measure is ultimately what we value. I think we need to put the central mark of the church where Jesus put it, where Paul put it. Uh, Jesus said that, you know, the love is the fulfillment of the entire law. Uh, Paul said in first Corinthians 13, man, if you did everything right, so to speak, and yet didn't have love, you'd be nothing. I, I think that'd be a good little litmus test for the church right now. Hey, you got the COVID thing, right? You get, you were just right. You threaded the needle on black lives matter. You threaded the needle on to mask, to not to mask, to vax, not to vax, but you didn't have love you failed. Yeah, like you failed yeah. the test. So where's your love? How mature is your love? How robust is your love? And are you forming disciples in mature love? Which again, I'll, I'll throw another Dallas Willard quote, but he says that mature love is involuntary enemy love, which means without even having to think about it, you're reflexively loving of enemy. Uh, so when Jesus is on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them for I know not what they're doing. That's your gut response to oppression. That's how you respond to anybody attacking you or hurting you. Uh, until you're there, you've not achieved Christian maturity. And so I would just I just think we need to put that front and center for the church because we failed so miserably in that front. So if we think about um, you know how the church is going to be different, I love your answer there. I love your quote of Dallas Willard. That is uh, that one's a good one. And so if you think very specifically about your local expression and what you're doing with Soma, how do you think Soma is going to be different? What are some things that as you all think about forging into the future after what you've learned over the last 18 months, you guys are going, yeah, this is, this is how we're going to be different as a result of what we've been through. Yeah, it's a good question. Cause we, um, we kind of build our, you know, our ecclesiology off of four, the four big questions, which are kind of the gospel flow, the old Testament new uh, indicative for the imperative, which is being before doing, uh, first question is, who is God? Second is, what has he done? Chiefly in Christ. Third, who are we? I've spoken about identity already. Yeah. And then the fourth question is, how should we live? So that's doxology, missiology. How, do, how should we worship? How should we make disciples? That's really where a lot of the changes are, are coming. But yet, uh, like I said, some of them were within our discipleship environments. It's like we ramped up certain environments to be more prominent than they have been. And others became a little lessened. And yet it wasn't a massive, like, seismic shift for us or some kind of like profoundly different uh, trajectory. So when I, when I think about the future, I really just think proactively, what are we learning? And some of it's not necessarily connected to COVID or connected to yeah. what we learned in COVID, but I mean, I think we're learning, um, you know, to more intelligently craft teams uh, to mm-hmm. instead of who volunteers and who wants to be on the team and, and, you know, all that we're, and we've known this, but we're just getting more and more, I guess, precise and thorough in our understanding of how teams work and the kinds of teams that do work and why, and, and doing a lot more on assessment of building, building those teams. And so that's, yeah. 
that's something we're learning. Uh, we're trying to create a, a more clarified missionary pathway for every to mobilize every disciple to make disciples. And so we realize uh, at times we've spoken at 30,000 foot and then all the way down to the street. But then we've left a lot of stuff in the middleware side of church to like intuitive leaders or whatever. Yeah. Or we've discovered that intuitive leaders are able to fill in the gaps and just lead through. And then less intuitive leaders are just looking for a roadmap going out. Yeah. You never trained me on that. You never mentioned it. I didn't know I should have thought through that. And so yeah. we're trying to really eliminate a lot of that unexamined um, uh, pathway, you know, and some of the places where, where groups get stuck or disciples get stuck and trying to be as explicit as possible. I think I mentioned earlier using flip classrooms. I mean, one of the, one of the, and this is COVID related, you know, we have churches in LA where even trying to coach a, a group's leader or to, or meet with a deacon midweek to train on something or, or to coordinate something, you know, traffic can be two hours. And so started to use Zoom just to say, hey, get home, get your kids down for bed or whatever, and then let's do a meeting. Um, now, even in city without restrictions, I think you'll probably see some coaching relationships where it just hmm. it's going to save travel time. And I go, you know what? Zoom's a pretty good tool for certain things. We're not going to use it near as much as we had to when we have the freedom to do embodied life. But at times and in certain key spots, it might really be an efficient way to, to serve our leaders and to eliminate some of the, the strain that could be there. Uh, if they don't have childcare, right. And they can't come to the, to the meeting or something and say, okay, why don't you zoom in and, and take part almost yeah. as if you were here. So I, I think we're finding hopefully some of those advantages that we discovered with new tools while also acknowledging that the, as I've said, the entire digital reality is not sufficient. So yeah. uh, how do we take what it can do well and, and let it supplement the essentials? So yeah, I think yeah. those are some of the things. That's good. Uh, let's wrap up with this because I'd love to get your thoughts on that. I love that word and that phrase you used a little bit earlier on anti-marketing. You know that maybe some of our responses during the pandemic as the church were some anti-marketing to the world. Uh, you could just take the idea of just manhood in general and just say over the last five or 10 years, there's been a lot of anti-marketing there as well from the Me Too movement to uh, toxic masculinity and the way that that is front and center, or, or at least on the very near periphery on a lot of things that people are talking about in the culture. Uh, even this week when you and I are recording, I mean, there was a prominent NFL coach who said, uh, obviously some emails came out and he lost his job as a result mm -hmm. of that. And so you think about the church that maybe had some anti-marketing and you think about men that have, have done a good job with some anti-marketing. Uh, but yet men are to play a very prominent role in the church. And so if you look ahead to the future, I mean, how, how do you see these two things reconciling men uh, being active as leaders in the way that the Lord wants them to be in the church, but yet also dealing with some of the negativity that's out there uh, in the world? Yeah, no, that's really good. Adam. Um, I, I've been deeply impacted by a guest I saw, you know, on the, on the better man podcast, uh, you know, uh, Jeff Schulte, and yeah. he does a lot around, emotional presence as a variable in spiritual maturity. I mean, there's just no doubt that a guy knowing what's going on in his chest, knowing what he's feeling about his life in a broken world through all the stuff that comes up is a massive uh, data point, really a critical data point for knowing how to, what your relational needs are with God and others. And so I think for men who take that journey seriously, men who uh, really do um, own their, their reality, own their, you know, their, their story, uh, looking back, but also their present emotional reality, where they are and can do something like what David does and praying the Psalms and mm. showing up real time with where he's really at and having authentic encounter with God. And then been able to find a couple trusted guys that he could do authentic encounter with in a trusted space. 
I think goes a long, long way uh, for getting awareness as to what's going on. So we don't, you know, rage on our kids for their Legos on the floor when it's really not about the Legos on the floor. It's about right. the person who shamed you at work and you just haven't processed it and you're bringing all that home yeah. and, and you, you're spilling it out somewhere else. And so uh, that's probably been the biggest thing I've seen with guys. Uh, the guys that are willing to, to do some of that work are able to be healthy in relationship and, and maybe to your point, like maybe even stand out as as uh, great witnesses in the midst of guys who can't. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I might even beg the question, hey, tell me about how you were able to navigate all the same stuff at work and marriage and life and money and stress uh, in a different way, you yeah. know, which may require gospel explanation. It may require an opportunity there to share about some of the growth and work. And so, um, yeah, when I think about men, I, I think about uh, that emotional presence piece in a huge way because it, it, to me, it's just the road into real relationship yeah. with God. And so I, I talk to men all the time, like David was not a, uh, he was not a weak, uh, effeminate male. He was actually had mighty men following him. Okay, mm. he was a key leader, and yet he was not afraid to show up with God in the Psalms. He, yeah. he had somehow those things are not. Uh, I almost want to redefine masculinity as yeah. like, yeah, you can lead mighty men, but then also pray your heart out to God, and you're still that's masculine. Actually, yep. David yeah. is a prototypical male. He's a really beautiful picture of male, maleness, <laughs> whatever masculinity. Uh, Jesus, or not Jesus, God said he's he's a man after my own heart. Like yeah. David's a model for you, like yeah. of really doing authentic relationship. And, uh, and so how do we, how do we redefine that? You know, we were talking definitions before, before this episode, Adam, and it's like, what if our definition of, um, of manhood could include strength and, and, and key leadership, but also uh, emotional presence with God and others as a key part of what it means to, to be in relationship. So that's, that's where I see a lot of, a lot of, uh, opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Really good answer there. And, and, you know, it makes me think of uh, how the church uh, so many years ago went through the reformation and it came out better on the other side. And now it's, it's kind of going down a, a, a few other uh, levels deeper, but there clearly has been some need for some other reformation uh, in the church and different areas. And maybe this idea of what it means to be a man certainly uh, is an area that could use in the culture and the cultural's understanding of what a true man really is or what a better man is. Uh, so it's fun to be on this journey and and to be able to help men out in the way that we're doing this. Uh, just even with even with the, you know a little podcast like this to be able to help with all that. So, uh, yeah, Duke, yeah. you didn't disappoint. I, I set the bar high. I knew you'd have good thoughts on all this, uh, and you did. And so I really appreciate you coming on today and sharing your thoughts on where the church is going. And um, so, how can people find out about you and more? Also about Soma Communities. Where where can they go find out more information? Yeah, our family of churches is is there on uh, wearesoma.com. We we produce content for the global church through saturatetheworld.com. Uh, there's a podcast there, the Saturate Podcast, similar to what you guys are doing, where we're yeah. talking about usually gospel fluency and everyday discipleship. That's are, good. Are kind of the macro themes of how's the gospel speaking to all of life, and how do we mobilize every disciple to make disciples in the everyday stuff of life? And so that's kind of our our emphasis. But yeah, those are the places you can find us. Great. Well, I'll put links to those in the show description and. Uh, Once again, Duke, it was great to be with you today. Thanks for your time. Yeah, Adam, it was great to be with you. Thanks for having me. I found that Dallas Willard quote that Duke talked about. Uh, It says this. Here's what he said. He said, The main test for Christ-like character is whether one spontaneously responds to one's enemies with love. Uh, That is challenging. If we spontaneously respond to our enemies 
with love. I couldn't agree more, Duke. I don't think I could have given that answer, uh, but I'm going to steal your answer now. If people ask me, where do I think the church needs to go in this next season, the next 18 or 19 months? I think it's that, that we need to be known by what we've always been known by or what we're supposed to be known by. And that is the way we love one another. And so I thank you so much for coming on today, uh, sharing that insight with us. That alone was worth it. You had so much other great stuff to say. And I love also what you said about this this idea of embodied presence. Uh, And again, I I can't agree more with that. I don't know if uh, all of us could put words on it like you did, but I think you put words on something that a lot of us have felt or are still feeling, this idea that we're missing being in rooms with people. We're missing being around one another. And so listen, if that's you, if you are feeling disconnected and you want to grow in your relationship with God, then I think Betterman is a perfect next step for you. The 11-week experience that we've got is a great way to explore manhood and make some lifelong friends. It is men getting together in a room talking about some of the most important things in life. Betterman is free. It's free for churches. You can just go to betterman.com and explore how you can bring this experience to your church or to your community or your small group of friends. That's betterman.com. This episode, like all the episodes, has been mixed and edited by the team at soundofarose.com. They did great work today because, like I said, uh, our virtual recording went on the fritz, and so they had to piece some things together. And so uh, thank you, Sound of a Rose, for always doing an amazing job mixing and editing these episodes. That's all we've got for today. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next time.